this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out union at Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. And Jay, we are very close to sending out our first batch of t-shirts. It's very exciting. Stickers have gone out. Next up, t-shirts. I love sending out little little prizes and awards. So yes. thanks everybody. Looking forward to getting those out. Looking forward to it. And of course, the way that you get those is by being a patron. And it just so happens we have one of our patrons with us on this very episode. He joined us a year ago. I think it was a year ago. Was it a year ago? It might have been. Hmm. No, no I, it was two years I, ago. As a patron, it's a couple of years. Yeah. Okay, two years ago. That voice you're hearing, if you're familiar, if you if you break out your deck of patron playing cards. <laughs> 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 That's Crawford Blair joining us from all the way across the con the uh, the world across the world in um where are you at what part of the UK? Well, I was last time I was in London and I very recently moved to um a place in a, a county in England called East Anglia, which is and I live in a little town, a tiny little town now called Hingham, and uh, it has it has quite deep roots actually with America. It's the Hingham uh, that I live in is related directly to the Hingham in Massachusetts because a lot of people uh, emigrated. They were Puritans and they were un- unhappy with the country and they got on a boat and they went to Massachusetts and they, they did the Great Migration and they established the Hingham in Mass as the Hingham, to remind them of the Hingham that I'm sitting in right now. Uh, and amongst those people was, I think his name is Samuel Lincoln and he was Abraham Lincoln's like fourth great-grandfather. So there's a very, very deep connection to, to the States from this, this little town. It's, it's actually really a village, but they don't like it if you call it a village. It's, uh, it's a town in name. Wow. This just yeah. gets seriously educational. <laughs> <laughs> we just turned into uh, NPR, everybody. Yeah, we just went straight back to the, I don't know, the 1600s <laughs> or something like that immediately. Excellent. Well, Welcome back. People will remember you from a an episode that I like to, whenever anybody says, you've done 400 episodes, haven't you covered everything? And I go, you haven't heard Ringo Sheena, have you? <laughs> yeah. That's my go-to for, well, the 90s were just grunge, right? Nope. Check this yeah. out. Because <laughs> now it's on Spotify. The, yeah, yeah, on the mirror world in Japan. And I, I kind of thought about doing another Japanese. I was going to do a band called Number Girl, who I think you guys would really like. But maybe we'll save that for another day. Or I'll try and force it through the process <laughs> somehow. Nice. Well, you can always make a suggestion and throw it into one of our polls. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Double that's, down. A, that's a digmeoutpodcast.com. Anyone is welcome to submit a suggestion. And then it gets entered into our hopper of polls. And our patrons get to vote on them every month and pick an album for us to review. Now, what album have you selected for us to check out on this episode? So after having the the usual normal existential crisis that I know all patrons probably have (laughs) when it's their turn, 
Um, I settled on an album by a band called Old Lady Drivers, uh, or by this point they were down to the acronym, um, or just down to OLD, basically, or Old. Uh, and at that point, they when they first started, they were like a crazy, like proto grindcore parody band, Re- really strange, heavy, noisy, screechy, and and, and weird. Uh, and I think that was about the kind of late 80s. And then they just got increasingly more out there until I think the band evolved just to two people, James Plotkin and Alan Dubin, who then went on to do a lot of other stuff. Amazing, some of it as well. But this was their last album, just as the band was kind of falling to pieces. And they made this one, this last record. And it, it's just, it's like a, a really curious record. And... When I first heard it, I was I was given a tape of it from a musician friend of mine, and a couple of other people, another musicians as well actually, who um, knew about it. It was kind of like, oh, oh yeah, formula. That's like you know, that's like some crazy shit. You want to, you know, that's a really good record. And I thought it's it's so. I, I wouldn't call it obscure because James Plotkin and Alan Dubin are both kind of fairly well known in, in sort of metal world, and and especially avant metal, but. It, it's definitely it definitely fell between the cracks and i think that's a bit of a theme that the, the album itself is sort of in between a lot of different genres and i actually got a chance i i, I found james and and sent him an email and he very very kindly answered a few questions because i didn't want to come into this without any context whatsoever i thought because i i felt it just kind of you know sort of talking about it off the top of my head might have been a little bit insulting so he actually was i sent him a couple of little questions about the record and he he kind of answered them and, and was very very kind to do that so and even he admits it's 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 not industrial enough it's not metal there's no metal in it it's you know it's kind of between these genres but i thought it would be an interesting record for i'm interested to know what you think of it really more than anything you know so the band was from new jersey i believe originally yeah, and which when I was listening to this, I couldn't, I didn't know that, and I could not pin down like what country they were from. Like if you had said they were Australian or if they were they're from the UK or German or you know anything, I, I could. I there's no like stamp of what this band would be. Now the interesting thing that I did find out is that at one point, I know you were going to say <laughs> Jason Everman was in the band. Yeah, yeah, who was in Nirvana. <laughs> Yeah, he played bass and Soundgarden uh, on, on one record. Yeah, he played bass in the uh, in uh, I can't remember which record it was. Uh, Low Flux Tube, I think maybe, which was two albums before Formula. Uh, so that's crazy. Yeah, he played. He did. Um, you know the he, the Bleach. He played on Bleach, or he's credited on Bleach. I think he was actually he, he's, he was never in the band for yeah. Bleach. I don't think. I think he he paid for it. <laughs> right, um, and then he. He played on a couple of Soundgarden albums, Hands All Over, or, yeah, Louder Than Love he's on. Yeah, which is over from Hiro Yamamoto. And, and, right. Yeah, I don't know what he played on, though. And that was a, that's in 1990. He played, I think, I guess, a couple of, a couple of tracks, not all, entire albums. Because uh, he's on Hands on over, All Over, which is a 7-inch. Then he, so that's all in 1990, and then he did... Uh, he did the album dropped with mind funk yeah in 1993 so he was all over the place and then of course he was in the military and yeah there's a really interesting interview with him post-military 
and he seems like a he actually seems like a really interesting kind of dude and and his stories about you know his his colleagues in, in the army or marines or whatever he was in you know discovering you know sort of latterly that he was in nirvana and soundgarden right and and him kind of cringing you know then having a little bit of ammunition uh, you know was it's a really cool interview i think it's probably linked on his wikipedia and it's page um, if you look it up. it's in the new york times and that was written by clay tarver of chavez that article oh and so, bullet lavolta you see the guy in bullet, bullet lavolta well? yes God, I love former that. I ne- guest of the podcast. Yeah, I nearly, I nearly picked in the past. I think I've nearly got you to do a Bullet Lavolta record. I love that band so much. We should bring it back to what we're talking about here, which is old. Jay, had you ever heard of Old Lady Drivers or Old? No, nope, no reference at all. And, and even yes, when you listen to the music, you you don't really have a um, a very clear location or scene to kind of reference it to even the album cover art so when i looked at this i was like i have no idea what this is going to be like like it could be anything it could be power pop it could be industrial it could be grunge like you have no idea what's that Um, font so yeah it's like a calculator font yeah (laughs) yeah yeah it's like a early digital font but yeah it's a gives you no clues right into this i had not either i i'll admit i had no concept of this band before checking them out for this and i didn't know their past i didn't know where this fell into their discography it was the beginning the end the only one or whatever so this was completely new for me as well it was also new for some other people who commented at patreon i want to get their comments that's patreon.com forward slash dig me out tara mccook said this was a really unique listen it's far outside what i have what I'd ever thought sought out on my own. The overall vibe to my ears was more synthy version of jazz fusion as if the Mahavishnu orchestra records, my, my dad, goodness. my dad likes were running through a nineties synth filter. Um, <laughs> there was some real gems on this record under glass stood out to me as well as last look. There were also some rough spots where the dissonance was overwhelming and off putting such as devolve i can't say this is going the heavy rotation but overall an interesting listen and then whitney beeler said i'd never heard of old but i've listened to this album three or four times now and it's really working for me there's definitely a ken andrews vibe like on break i can hear a little bit of genesis or maybe an artsy early todd rung utopia feel mostly on under glass a couple of the songs have guitar parts that recall adrian blue check out last look I'm with Tara on song choices. Last Look and Underglass are my favorites. Devolve is repetitious and ugly sounding. Thug is super weird with its stuttering, sometimes screaming vocals and moaning synths. But I like it because it finds a groove that works. Rid pushes my shiner buttons, I think because of its echoing guitar riff. And I hear a trace of Rush in there, too. This was pretty awesome suggestion, and it's going to be something I listen to regularly. So cool. two positive uh, reactions from uh, some of our listeners over at Patreon. Jay, let's get into it. Let's talk about something that we liked about this record. I'm going to let you go first. Well, I think the comments there about it, it being um, different, unique is is absolutely true. I think that's what pulled me into the record. Um, I didn't I didn't hear a whole lot of references um, that were clear. There are fleeting moments here and there. But for the most part, you know, they're putting together some fairly well-established ingredients but in a way that's unique um so the i really like how the guitar is used on the record it's it's very i guess atmospheric in that they're building loops out of you know 
patterns um, of guitar parts. They're also doing a lot of like either feedback kind of things and building stuff off of, you know, guitar as a more tonal instrument and less, you know, chords and riffs, um, which is interesting to listen to. And it, and as it goes over um, some keyboards too, that the two get intertwined and kind of, it's hard to tell what's what sometimes. So I really like the construction, I think, of the record. That's what I found myself focusing on most of the listen is to just pull apart what instruments I was hearing and how they were being put together and how the whole thing was being built. And overall, there's some good like dynamic between um, the, the rhythm and these atmospheric parts. So, you know, you'll have either, you know, these loops of guitars or keyboards and then drums that are maybe a little bit more active or, you know, performance oriented. And then you'll have some stuff where it's flipped, where the drums will be a little bit more group you know loop based and then the instruments on top maybe a bass line is a little bit more alive and performing a little bit more so i liked all that i, I really i guess the only um the only band that i i heard called out that i could definitely hear similarities to would, would maybe be failure and they're more experimental um tracks maybe some of the segue tracks and mm. the things that are a little bit uh, more atmospheric so that was the kind of thing that I think when the band worked well too, I liked is when it gets very spacey, a little bit, you know, dreamy. Um, I think Under Glass is a good example of that. And that's the, for me, where the band is most successful. And that's the stuff that I was gravitated to. So I want to throw another band out there. You mentioned failure. One I thought in terms of capturing the sort of repetitive noisiness is a band like Medicine is what I heard in their slightly more melodic, less abrasive moments. Because this band has a, a droning kind of feel to some of the you know drum looped and you know you mentioned about looping guitars and stuff like that there's a lot of texturing of sounds and i really dug that i mean in terms of what i liked about this record this is like a hypnotic listen in a lot of parts but if you put it on and really focus in on it you can pick out some really interesting bits and pieces here and there that are building this near wall of sound on some of these tracks but what i really liked was finding out afterward that you know they were this very heavy grinding heavy metal you know band but when i listened to this i was hearing especially on songs like like under glass i was hearing stuff like talk talk and you know this like these like synth pop bands from the 80s that i that were not as you know popular is say you know the the more commercial bands but still had some commercial aspirations but just this like really catchy and dare i say pretty sounds 
from the synthesizers that I was not expecting. Most of that really worked for me. Uh, it it kind of had a if if uh, medicine had sort of dialed back some of the the My Bloody Valentine influence with the layers of distorted guitars sort of rolling around each other um, on some of the songs. I think they would have gotten pretty close to this because um, I remember you and I struggled a little bit with how noisy that record was, even though we liked some parts of it. Um, this sort of is actually more in the vein, I, th- I think, of what we were hoping for with that record, which was you get these like passages of, of repetition and drone where it you know locks into sort of a hypnotic feel but then also provides some real interesting melodies and and parts so i i quite dug it to be uh be honest i was not expecting that based on i thought we looked at the album cover i was like oh boy what is this (laughs) that's uh that font by the way is called micr m-i-c-r stands for magnetic ink character recognition wow you'll you'll know it from uh it's still used on checks Right, so that's oh, the that's the right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bank account numbers on. Yep. That's how I knew it. Okay, good call. I think <laughs> it was like it, on old movies, is like seventies kind of sci-fi movies, like mm-hmm. uh, the Omega Man or yes. something like that. You know, or Soylent Green or something that you would pop up quite a lot. And there's also a there's a British television program called Space 1999, which I think might have used it as well, or something very similar. It's kind of a people of our kind of age. It's probably kind of like hardwired into our subconscious, I would have thought. Mm-hmm. So when you first got this record, were you familiar with their previous albums? No, no, not at all. I used to play in a band with, and the drummer and I used to swap tapes quite a lot and he i don't know where he i think he'd heard it because he was into a lot of metal and he was into a lot of kind of grindcore type stuff and he probably knew about old lady drivers um as a sort of a because they really for those listeners that haven't heard this record know nothing about oil d i mean they were they were really really a different band when they first started they were like a comedy thrash grindcore outfit with a weird witchy sounding you know vocalist and like quite humorous violent kind of splattery kind of content in the songs and and then they they ended up at from that starting there and then ending up at formula but they're actually they didn't just kind of pivot you know like after an album they 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 slowly kind of melted into this you know into the the band that made the last record um i only had i i don't really listen to to many of their other uh records prior to that especially not the very early ones but I, I, yeah, it, Formula was the first one that I heard, and and my friend had given me this cassette, and I'd spoken to some uh, another musician friend of mine who had, who is very evangelical about this record, and he's, um, and I think Under Glass. It's interesting that Under Glass gets mentioned quite a lot in the comments and by yourselves because I think Under Glass is kind of like the centerpiece of the whole record. It's almost like the, mm-hmm. you know, the axis of the whole record, and it, and it's um it's probably the the strongest and most beautiful kind of piece of music. And I mean, I think of Under Glass, it's, it is, it, Glass is a good word to use in the title because it has this crystalline, this pure, clear crystalline quality to it. And I yeah. think it's to do with, um, I'll, I'll talk about influences and stuff like that because I, I managed to get a hold of James Plotkin via email and he very kindly let me ask him a couple of questions because I didn't want to just talk about the record with absolutely no... Because there's so little information about the record, right? You know, it's, and nobody you know seems to care about it anymore. Yeah, so. there's only a couple reviews here yeah. and there. There's not a lot. Um, 
I asked them about influences, and I, I asked them about a band called the Young Gods, who are from Switzerland. And the Young Gods are really well known in the late 80s and 90s as a band who would take... Um, they were consisted of a drummer, a singer, and a guy who played samples. And the singer would sometimes play bass and a bit of guitar. But they were basically... All their songs were constructed from thrash metal and heavy metal and classical music samples with live drums. So there was like, and, play, and all the samples were played live. So on Formula, there's, there's like the first track, Last Look, has this very prolonged classical music sample of an orchestra tuning up, which is used. And then Under Glass has these string samples, you know, like classical string samples that are very beautiful and, and uh, sonically unusual. And I asked him about the Young Gods and he said, um, they were definitely a big influence. And the other bands that he mentioned were a band called Slab, who I sort of remember from the late 80s, but I don't know much about. Um, a band from America called Die Kreuzen. Uh, mm. He says 80s, yeah, 80s era King Crimson. So the Adrian Blue references is, is, is bang on there. And then he says things like modern Japanese psych, uh, German Detroit techno, which you can hear towards the end of the record uh, more predominantly. And he says, well, they were all influential as far as the state of mind I was in at the time. The objective was always to do something different that would satisfy my own need for exploration and development as an artist. And then I went on to just ask him about the music itself being quite, and kind of Jay mentioned this, it's, it's not, it's, I mean, you could loosely say it's an industrial record, but industrial music has quite minor key, lots of metal tritones and just like, you know, like a lot of grunge, whereas this this record is very open and and it's very beautiful. And the layered the vocal melodies, you know, the vocoded vocals aren't minor or angsty. It's not like Nine Inch Nails or Filter or you know any of those kind of bands. It's the the music itself is is almost kind of upful. It's sort of more in an upwards direction. Um, and I asked him if if there was if that was like a, a conscious decision to make the music quite bright and not minor. Um, and he just said that what the one thing that made the band interesting was there was no premeditated, no premeditated way of working or sticking to any one genre. And that was clearly the benefit of, of them having digested so many different types of music um, beforehand, uh, as well as having a label who, who never interfered. And then he just says, I see very little connection with any genre of music from the album. Definitely too melodic to be industrial music, too bizarre to be a rock album, little or no metal. He says if more artists were left exactly to their own devices, there would be a lot more interested music in the world. And I think that is really the kind of, says it all about formula. It's, it's, it's in between a lot of kind of definite compartments and sometimes albums that are in between like they fall through the cracks, you know, because nobody really knows what right. to what to kind of make of them, you know. Yeah, I when I read that in some reviews the word industrial, I was like, I don't get industrial in the way that we've encountered it with bands like Skinny Puppy or yeah. Ministry. Like it doesn't have that at least not on I mean maybe like thug. You say big drums, big explosive drum sounds, and that's probably about it really. Right. That's about it. I mean, I, you're right about the minor key stuff versus major key, and and I I have a different expectation when I'm thinking of like industrial is just harsher, and that's why I mentioned like medicine and even like a band like the Bowery Bowery Electric, which was an mm. ambient band, 
um, you know, a little bit of trip hop sound from the the 90s. We reviewed their one of their records very early on. It even had more of that kind of feel than any sort of industrial record that we've encountered on this show. It just it just didn't have that vibe to me. Like they weren't going for that sort of sound. I don't know, Jay. Did you get any sort of industrial feel in terms of the overall record? Just the drums. I you know I have um you know that pipe banging kind of sound that's added in Last Look. I mean to me that's an industrial right. kind of thing. Devolve has some industrial sounding drum uh, sections, Thug as well. it's really more just um some of the and it'll usually be uh, you know layered with another drum sound too um so it's not like a straight up what you would stereotypically think of as industrial but it felt i guess industrial influenced or maybe inspired and then there's the i think kind of just the aggressive vocal what is it is it in thug that you know kind of gets to some some of the sounds you might hear from an industrial band the screaming yeah. kind of gargly thing. That's that's the one where I, it felt, I don't know if you agree, Crawford, or not, but that was one where it felt most out of place in terms of the overall record, where it got, like, really aggressive. Both I did in terms ask of the, him about that, actually. Okay, what do you say? Well, it's, it's weird because the track kind of chugs along, and then it sort of goes, it sort of, it kind of stops. And then this weird sounding like a rehearsal recording or a board tape of a gig or something is spliced in and it's like a different band and it's like this horrible kind of screechy metal right you know like grindy kind of early um i did ask him about that and uh and he said that was a rehearsal recording of the very first band he was in in the early 80s he said i think i was 14 years old and the other members were about 20. We only lasted the better part of a year, but I had, he says, I had unearthed the tape while we were working on Formula. He says, Thug was the one track that I thought was trash. So we threw a chunk of the tape in there to sort of fuck it up. Interesting. So, yeah. so it's a, it's, it's actually another band that he added to the end of the song. That's a, yeah, I've always wondered if it was maybe just a, and it, cause it sounds not unlike the, the early iterations of old lady drivers. So I thought maybe it was like an, an old lady driver gig tape or something like it sounds a little bit like a soundboard recording. So gotcha. Um, it's all vocals, you know, and I thought maybe they'd just taken some early board recording of one of their first gigs and just spliced it in for last, but no, it goes back even further than that. So, yeah, that's the only one that like sort of breaks the the trance 
like kind of thing going on with some of these, you know, songs. They have these really sort of serene textures that are kind of, you know, give you in a, like in a in a bit of a lull. Not not in a bad way, but just you sort of be, you know, going yeah, to this hypnotic a, lull, and then there, that one yeah. is is Hypnot- opposite. Hypnosis is a perfect word for it. Hypnotic is a perfect word for it because it's there's lots of layering going on and there's the musical kind of elements are, are stretched you know there's lots of layered what sounds like ebowed guitars and jay mentioned this you know where there's quite rightly where there's there's parts where the guitars and the keyboards kind of sound like they could be interchangeable um and then on top of that the rhythms kind of provide the you know the the breaking up of the texture and there's lots of polyrhythms there's lots of different Without it sounding too proggy, there's you know there's different time signatures laid over the top of each other five over four and seven over four, and um, it does get quite yeah it is quite hypnotic in a weird way. I was wondering what you guys thought about did the vocals? Did you mind that the entire album is that all the vocals are through a vocoder? I don't. I didn't mind them uh, until they were screaming. Right. What about you, Jay? Yeah, I felt same way. I, it seemed appropriate to me. Um, they tend to be back in the mix too, so right, you know, kind of blended in. Um, I, would I have liked it better if they were a little cleaner, maybe? Um, but it didn't throw me really until yeah, the screaming part. <laughs> that was like, uh oh. <laughs> so what on this album does not work for you, Jay? I have a hard time with you know, music that loops um, a lot and repeats. So something like Devolve, um, you know, that's a song that just I can't get I can't get through with the, that whooping keyboard sound um, that just goes through the whole the whole thing. I, I can't get past, uh, you know, a minute or two of that. And it goes on for several more. Over and over. For me, it's more of, you know, uh, it, some of the songs I can't stay fully engaged through the whole thing. There's parts I like a lot, um, but there's other parts where I just start to fade or and or just get bored with it. Um, just again, because of the repetition is just not my thing. So I tend to like the, the songs that are either um, just more dynamic, like Rid. There's just a lot of uh, energy there and there's a lot going on with drums. They're very active. There's a lot of fills. Um, or the songs where they do a lot of, you know, soft, loud. Um, so there's a couple there where they, you know, they'll kind of deconstruct things and then build them back up and then deconstruct them again. Um, so I kind of need that variety, I think, to to stay engaged through the whole thing. Um, otherwise, I tend to get a little bored. Uh, I, I would have liked just a, maybe a little bit more performance, too. I think Rid is probably the most, you know, active from a performance standpoint. I think Under Glass is... Is, is 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 good there as well you know whether it be 
you know, I don't know, a guitar solo or some kind of other instrument solo or some kind of bit that maybe even the vocal just not being so affected, just so it had just a bit more of a human element um, poking out here and there, um, I think would have would have worked better for me. Yeah, I didn't have as much problem with repetition, I guess, because I'm more into that in terms of ambient or electronic music. It doesn't tend to rile me up as much. Rid, I liked musically. It was just some of the vocal stuff I didn't care for in that song. But I really, I liked like Amoeba, the last track, and the intro track, Last Look, which is kind of like two songs. There's like a break yeah, in the middle of that Tupac. song. Yeah. Um, I dug that. And obviously you mentioned about Under Glass sort of being the, the center point of the record. I thought that was the most interesting and, and definitely the highlight of the album for me. So what are there things that since you first got the record that I know particular tracks that you don't particularly care for or maybe parts that um you skip over on this record Crawford personally for me it runs out of steam by uh, uh, the last track Amoeba if I think it I don't know why it's it's not a bad track it stands apart from the others ever so slightly in that it's perhaps the most traditionally electronic album it goes back to what we were saying or what i was saying about how it's kind of between stools you know in terms of genre and it's i think if you listen to an 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 electronic record you have a slightly different you listen to it with a slightly different ear than you listen to an industrial rock record Mm -hmm. or a rock record per se and i don't really know if if formula is an electronic record or uh, an electronic rock record or I mean it kind of doesn't matter but right I, I think Amoeba kind of stands apart I think it's not it's not as interesting to me as the others and by a, a small degree I think and I feel that maybe had it been had the album just stopped at the end of Red I think, I think it might have actually been you know just exact exactly right I don't dislike the track but when it kicks in I don't know I always feel like I'm I don't know that the album sort of ended for me at that point. Yeah. But other than that, I think, yeah, it's pretty, it's an, I mean, it's the seven tracks. It's about 50 minutes, I think. And, you know, the first track, like you said, 10, it's it's almost 11, 11 minutes long, but it's sort of in two parts, really. There's a a brief reprise of the first part at the end, but all the songs are kind of, you know, five minutes plus. They, they, They all take the time. They all kind of unfold or they repeat you know, and, and 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 take the time stuff. And I kind of like that. So I think maybe Amoeba for me is just kind of the, 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 weak, the weakest kind of track on it. Yeah, I think other than that, I'm, I, I think it's, it still stands up from from my first listen, which was probably maybe like two thousand and one, two thousand two, something like that. So it's been a while. Um, I still I still go back to it quite a lot and get a lot of, and it's been nice to go back to it and listen to it a lot, especially for the podcast, you know, and, and to revisit. So this was released on Earache Records, which is 
been around for quite some time and is still an active record label um has a wide variety of artists um it's a uk Mm. label out of nottingham and you know it has this band it has blackberry smoke is is a band on there now i guess uh rival sons um, yeah, they're, they're more mainstream now than they right. than they were. When they first started, they were known for having a lot of uh, grindcore bands like Napalm Death, um, people like that. Pitch Shifter and Godflesh, Carcass. Yeah. yeah, Entombed was on this uh, was on this label. So, but what's interesting is on the Wikipedia page for this, it says it is allegedly the lowest selling album in the history of Earache Records. <laughs> I asked James about that. Um, he just said, I have no idea. I, I said, is Wikipedia correct about the sales figures? He said, I have no idea of the sales figures since we never got statements from the label, something we probably should have been concerned about. But for some reason, we just didn't <laughs> care at that point. Um, I know that if you buy, I bought my copy of Formula about 10, I bought a CD copy of it uh, about 10 years ago from eBay and for five pounds, it came from the directly. Ah. So I would imagine that they probably have, you know, a warehouse somewhere in Nottingham with probably, you know, a couple of thousand vintage 1995 era uh, CDs of the of this record. Still sealed. I would imagine so. <laughs> I mean, the, to say it's the lowest selling album on Earache is 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 pretty impressive because Earache put out a lot of music, um, a lot of bands that you know, we're very niche and, you know, and we're never going to sell a lot of records. Right. No, I guess my point was that uh, when I was looking at, you know, this being released in 1995, they're, you know, a U.S. band. I don't I don't think that there was any chance of this getting onto radio here in the United States. I mean, maybe if you did a three and a half minute edit of Under Glass or I don't know where this is going to, like, this is college radio, no. and there's, it's probably... There's nothing uh, on the album I think would fit the American it's, college radio. It's probably a specialty show on a, on a college radio station in 1995 that's doing, like, you know, industrial and trance and yeah. you know, electronic music. It's not going to get onto the even the regular rotation. Whereas, like, uh, you know, look, we've mentioned with, like, Ministry, they managed to pull off, like, one or two singles that got them onto college radio and mtv for a minute so but there's i just can't think of any way that this would make it into a mainstream situation might be as a soundtrack song for some some movie that came out in the 90s that would be about it that's the only way i could see it getting into um and the average you know record buyer's hands at that time i guess there's a, a couple of tracks you could maybe see playing in a an industrial club as that you know as Keanu Reeves strides through yeah. the club or something. Perhaps Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, yeah, Johnny Mnemonic. I was thinking of yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Hackers <laughs> or Strange Days or one of those movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they could definitely or had a remix of one of these songs for the uh, for one of those soundtracks. Definitely would have worked. So let's give our overall ratings on this record were the album better ep or decent single jay where do you land i'm at an ep i like uh i like break you on your glass rid and i I do like amoeba um i think it's i'm with you that's 
for at that point of the record, I'm a little spent. Um, so I would take out Thug and and uh, put Amoeba there. I don't mind Last Look. Um, I'm not sure why it's they didn't break that into two songs. Uh, it may work better for me if it was actually two different tracks, just to kind of digest things a little better. But uh, I'm at uh, three to four songs really that that I feel pretty good about. So an EP. Those four songs would be 23 minutes. Just to, yep. in four <laughs> songs for Guided by Voices would be seven minutes. Yep. Just as a comparison <laughs> sake. Um, I would be at an album just because I would probably, I like Last Look, Break You, Under Glass, Rid and Amoeba. So I would be at five songs, but I would be at over 30 minutes. So I could I could do that. I like Devolve. I actually don't mind that in terms of the, the repetitiveness of that. So I could actually include that. So it's really just, I guess I, the only ones I really... I don't like Thug and Rid is okay, but I think I would go five of seven, and that would that would make my album. So it's still a short album, but it'd still be in the you know thirty minute range because you got two of the longest song. I mean, two of the songs are eighteen minutes, and then you add in Under Glass, that's twenty five minutes between three songs. <laughs> so yeah, I'd yeah. be at thirty three minutes actually about for my thirty four minutes or more for my album. So I bet a worthy album. Crawford, what about you? Worthy album, better EP, decent single. I, I think worthy album. I think if I was to be, I would probably take all of it. But if I was to be a little bit more robust, I would. I would. If I lopped off Amoeba from the end, that would bring it down to about like maybe forty-two minutes, which you were just under. Perfect. One side of a C ninety with a little change, you know, it'd probably exactly right. So yeah, definitely a worthy album for me. That's, that's probably not a surprise, but yeah. This was not released on vinyl. It was released on CD and cassette only. So at this length, might be a little tough to do a vinyl release because it's, I think you want to be in like the 40-something minute range. High, and this is at just above 50. This could be interesting as a as a reissue with maybe a couple of bonus tracks. I don't know if there were some singles released around. I don't believe so. I know... And somewhere in in James's um, answers to questions, he mentioned. I think I asked him if he was happy with the record, if he and Alan were actually happy with it, and he said there are aspects of the production he would have changed if he'd had more time, and there are certain aspects of the demos that I strongly preferred to the album, which made me want to say, "Oh, can I hear the demos, please?" Um, <laughs> but he says he says the band was dissolving at that point anyway, which definitely affected any sort of excitement someone might have about releasing a new work. He says, in retrospect, I think we created something that will stand the test of time and to my years, and this is interesting, he says, to my years, the few times I've heard it since it was recorded, it still sounded fresh. So I guess he hasn't listened to it very much since he made it. And I don't know if that's because the circumstances in which he made it with are kind of trying. But if you look at James's, if you look at his Discogs page or his Wikipedia page, I mean, the man's been busy, you know. He oh, yeah, he's got he, a lot of yeah. self-releases. and, and Yeah, and, and there releases. is stuff, there is actually stuff under his own name um, and 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 various other names that is not so dissimilar from from Formula. Um, there's uh, Atom Smasher and Phantom Smasher, which are two synonyms that he uses. And there's a couple of records under his own name, and they are kind of down a similar pathway. But yeah, I I, I it's interesting that he he hasn't listened to it very much. I just can't imagine any. It would have to be a very very niche and very very committed 
like bespoke label to to pick it up and re-release it i don't know how because quite often when they do things like this they have to spin it in a certain way there's this beloved lost record and stuff and i don't know if i don't know if formulas it's definitely lost i don't know if it's beloved by many people sadly well most of the reviews that i read were were not from the time they were from people looking back like there's a review on the quietest from 2012 Oh, There's, do you know who wrote that, just out of interest? Uh, that was written by Toby Cook. Toby Cook. Oh, I don't know Toby Cook. Okay, and cool. then um, there's a blog review that I found. Um, John Lithium, he wrote a review, uh, what year, 2007. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think there's, and then there's one on allmusic.com, which might have come out around the time, because I don't, I don't think they date their reviews. That was where like kind of it as far as in depth reviews and they were both from the two thousands, you know, well after ten, fifteen years after the record came out. So I don't know that it's beloved by a wide swath of people, but it definitely seems to have a small fan base. So maybe you know, there's there are some pretty obscure records that we've seen get re reissued, so I can't because people want it on vinyl. So that's entirely possible this could yeah it would be lovely yeah i mean it definitely has a a slightly cultish uh, element to it with people i know who who love i I, you know quite a few of my friends who are very keen on the record and love it very much this would Um, be perfect for one of those crowdsourcing websites yeah (laughs) if there was one that was not you know in in legal trouble (laughs) yeah absolutely I don't know. I, I don't get the impression that James kind of probably cares much, you know, about these kind of things. I think he's he seems to always be moving forward with things, you know. So right. if if he if he was to maybe stop doing that and and then like after a few years, you know, sort of cu- end up curating his kind of legacy, which a lot of a lot of musicians who have been doing it for decades, if they slow down. Or they just stop altogether under any circumstances. Quite often, they end up just being the stewards of their own back catalogue, you know. And mm-hmm. um, maybe he'll he'll go back through stuff that he feels ne- needs to be releasing. But he seems to be just making more and more current music that he's interested in now. Right. So unless he gets to like you know his seventies or something, then maybe <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Well, Crawford, thanks so much uh, for joining us once again. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. And bringing an interesting record for us to check out. This was uh, another new edition that we had never, ever experienced before. So, so what uh, makes the show so much fun is we get to check out stuff that we've never heard and get to share it with people who might never, might uh, never have heard it before. So, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And Cra- Crawford's a—I don't know if you realize it, but you're a trustee now on the steering committee. I, you yeah, of, you have a lot of responsibility. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't sort of uh, welled any of, of my power yet because I've been moving house and just entirely distracted by by that whole process for the last six or seven weeks, really. So I'm looking forward to actually kind of getting get my nose back into to Patreon and actually seeing seeing what I'm capable of uh, of, of doing in there. Yeah. Well you, well, you did your job here. You know, you're the, you're the seeing eye as the steering committee <laughs> to help us find these records that are very proud. totally lost. Yes. Um, so you did you did well here. Thank you. Oh, no, that no, was a pleasure. 
All right, and I want to remind people they can go to Patreon.com to join that steering committee. That's Patreon.com forward slash dig me out. And you can join us at the um, $2 level. That gets you a sticker. And then we've got levels. You can level up, as they say, to join our board of directors and our steering committee. You get T-shirts. You get to vote on roundtables in our 80s episode, our bi-monthly 80s episode. We're gonna you, have could one. P- you could just pick a record like Crawford did. Yeah. You get all sorts of options for how you want to support the podcast. You can also help us out by leaving positive feedback over at iTunes. So for JM Tim, we're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. Zazzle.